Welcome to the Painesville Assembly of God podcast. We're always encouraged to know God is working through this ministry to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email at info at Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Again, it's good to see everybody. Right now, happening in Orlando, Florida, in the Disney bubble, is the NBA playoffs and uh, leading up to the NBA championship. I share that uh, because I want to share a little basketball history with you. Uh, How many have ever heard of an NBA superstar by the name of Pete Maravich? Anybody ever heard of Pete Maravich, Pistol Pete? Uh, Pete Maravich was someone that uh, had, uh, was a skinny guard. He played for LSU. And uh, he was a bit of a showman when it came to the basketball uh, court. He was a three-time All-American. He was known for the kind of no-look passes, over-the-shoulder passes, around-the-back passes. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, on ESPN.com, he's quoted as saying that if I have the choice whether to, to show, uh, whether to do the show or to throw a straight pass, and we're going to score either way, I'm going to do the show. Uh, So he had a little bit of showmanship uh, to him, skillful dribbling and fancy passes. He had the ability to score, and he set all kinds of records, some who uh, in in, uh, in Division I uh, college basketball still stand today. In fact, during his NBA career, he was selected five times to the NBA All-Star game, and uh, he was also later voted among the league's 50th greatest players in history. He was a skinny kid, he was in fantastic shape, and he was known to be able to run and play game after game after game after game without getting tired. But on January 5th, 1988, just a few years after he retired, he was playing a pickup basketball game along with James Dobson, the founder of Focus on the Family. Later, he was scheduled to be on the program, but during that pickup basketball game, he collapsed and died of a heart attack at the age of 40 years old. An autopsy later revealed his death was due to a previous undiagnosed congenital heart defect. You see, Pete Maravich didn't know it, but he had only one coronary artery instead of the normal two. This tragic situation of a person who was in good outward shape, yet dying of a heart attack at a young age, reveals to us a sobering truth, and that is a person's physical ability on the outside does not oftentimes reflect the health of the heart. Spiritually speaking, there is another heart that is often talked about by poets and by preachers and by philosophers. It's the kind of heart that we talk about that is broken when you're in junior high or high school and that person, him or her, that you have fallen in love with doesn't want to go out with you or says, I need to break off the relationship. And you say, oh, my heart is broken. You're not talking about a physical heart, right? You're talking about a different kind of heart. Or the kind of heart that swells with pride when you see your kids excelling in school or excelling in a particular sport or music or something like that. Your heart swells with pride. You're not talking about a physical heart. You're talking about a different kind of heart. In fact, in the New Testament, the Greek word for that kind of heart is the word cardia, which is where we get our English word cardiac from. And when it comes to the heart, every culture has some kind of internal organ that they consider to be the spiritual, emotional, or mental, mental center of a person, no matter what culture it is. So in our culture, when we speak of the heart, we say things like, I love you with all of my heart. Now, we're not talking about that physical heart, right? 
when, when we, in our culture, we, we say, well, let's get to the heart of the matter. What are we talking about? We're talking about get to the center of it. Let's get to the main center, the, the reason behind it, the essence of our emotions and our thoughts. And that's exactly the way the heart is deployed in Scripture. In fact, uh, in, in some 105 times, in 98 verses in the New Testament, the heart talks about who we are, the center, the very epicenter of our lives. It's what Jesus refers to in the very verse that we're going to dig into today. You see, today we're continuing our series called Blessed that we're in in the Beatitudes. And in this series, we're going to look today uh, at, 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 at another of these Beatitudes. How many know the Beatitudes are less about what we do and more about who we are on the inside? They're about the attitudes within Less about doing, more about being. So now we're, we're going to look at the sixth beatitude today in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8, which says this, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The first thing we learn when we look at this beatitude is that Jesus cares very much about the condition of your heart. Again, not your physical heart, but that, that center of your emotions, that center of your, your thoughts, your soul, your mind, your emotions. It's not enough just to be clean on the outside. Jesus said this in Matthew 23, 25, and 26 to the Pharisees and the scribes. He said this, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, and he calls them hypocrites. Why? He says, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and of the plate, but inside they're for, full of extortion and rapacity. The, you blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and of the plate, that the outside may also be clean. What's Jesus concerned about? He's not as concerned about how you look on the outside if there's something that's wrong with the heart on the inside. Jesus is current concerned about the inside. The aim of Jesus Christ, friends, is not to reform manners of society, but change the hearts of sinners like you and me. That's what he's about. The heart is where you are. It's the secrecy of your thoughts, the things that only you and God know. With the invisible root is what matters to God more than the visible branch. We're reminded of this in Jesus' words to Samuel as he began to search for the next king of Israel that was to follow Saul. This is what the Lord told him he looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Jesus confirmed this in the New Testament in Matthew 15, 18, and 19 when he talks about that what proceeds out of the mouth comes from the heart. He said, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. Where do those things come from? Those things come from this thing inside of us called the heart. The heart. Matthew 12, 33 and 34, Jesus reinforces it by saying, either make a tree good and its fruit good, or make a tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. And then it says this, Jesus said, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when there's things that come out of our mouth, gossip or slander or cursing, uh, things that come out of our mouth in terms of where we're, we're speaking negativity or, 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 or we're being uh, very complaining, complaints and those kind of things, if that's what's coming outside of our mouth, then that's a good indication that there is a problem that's happening with our heart, with our heart. 
The heart is utterly crucial to Jesus. It, it, it's, it's the deep part of us, the resource, recesses of our lives, and it's the very area that Jesus cares about the most. See, Jesus didn't come into this world because we have some bad habits that need to be broken. He came into this world because we have dirty hearts that need to be cleansed. When I read the sixth beatitude, I've got to be honest with you, my first reaction, blessed are the pure in heart, they will see God. I go, that's impossible. I'm never going to see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, right? I would venture to say that some of you believe the same thing like me. I mean, if I look at the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit. I come to God empty-handed. I have nothing to which I can offer. I'm poor in my spirit before you. I go, Lord, that's me. If I look at the, the next one, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And I see my sin in comparison to God, and I begin to repent and mourn over my sinful condition. I say, that's me. But blessed are the pure in heart. How will I ever see that blessing of seeing God? For how can I ever be fully pure in heart? Well, the good news is, is that Christ ties purity of heart to something else here that, that is equally impossible. They shall see God. But uh, in fact, Moses wanted to see God. Friends, Moses wanted to see God. In fact, God's glory, he, he asked to see God's glory, and God had to put him in the cleft of the rock and see the afterburn of his glory. In fact, God said to him this, you cannot see my, my face. Man shall not see me and live. Blessed are the pure in heart, they shall see God. It's an impossibility, it seems, of, of, of two things, and yet God isn't luring us away, putting something out there that's never for us to attain. It's not like the, the carrot in front of the horse that the horse is never going to get to enjoy the carrot, but out there forever. No, that's not what Jesus does. That, that's not what Jesus says here. For what is impossible with man, how many of you know, is possible with God? It's possible with God. In fact, it's possible because of Jesus Christ, because He is a great Redeemer. He is a great Rescuer. He is a great Savior. Amen? And he is holding this wonderful promise in his hands despite all of our sinful baggage, despite all of those things. He holds this promise out to us, not a promise that we cannot attain, but rather a promise that he encourages us and challenges us to pursue. You see, that's what God desires for us. So although my first thought is, boy, that beatitude, this looks impossible, my second thought is that if I can lay hold of the promises of Christ, boy, how much would my life be blessed? So in order to grasp the meaning, we've got to clear away some misconceptions around this beatitude. The first conception, misconception that I want to, to kind of do away with is that purity of heart does not mean sinlessness of life. If it did, nobody would ever be pure of heart. Nobody would ever see God. Christians in this life are always sinners in the process of recovery. We're always in the process of recovery. We can grow, we can make progress, but until we set ourselves in, and we get to be in eternity with Jesus, we're always going to be growing. There's always things we can be growing and improving in. Amen? Well, you say, oh, I'd like to argue with that. Well, then I'll just share with you 1 John 1.8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves <laughs> and the truth is not in us. The truth is not in us. When the Bible speaks about purity and holiness, it talks about it in three different ways. There are three different ways, three different uh, ways to understand purity and understand holiness. The first is this, there is purity and holiness or holiness that belongs to God alone. 
There's a purity and a holiness that belongs to God alone. To go back to the time when Isaiah had had a vision and he found himself in the very throne room of God, there was a, a part in there where the angels were literally saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The angels, the angels are in heaven with God. The angels are created beings, but there's a holiness about them that they're in the very presence of God. And yet here they are declaring, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. What they're declaring to us is that there is a holiness and a standard that is God's and God's alone. There is a holiness that is pure, that God is, it, that belongs to him and him alone. And us as created beings fall short of his own holiness. It's incomparable. Secondly, though, there is a purity or holiness that will be ours in heaven one day. Shared that earlier a little bit. First John 3, 2, dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. There is a purity that is coming. There is a holiness that will be complete once we reach heaven. Once we experience Christ, we will be like him in holiness. We will be like him and, and we will experience that holiness that comes from him for all eternity. But there's a third aspect of holiness that is important for us today, for the way that we live today. And that is a holiness that God calls us to pursue right now. A purity and a holiness that we are called to pursue. Again, that's what Jesus speaks about in Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You see, our purity today is like gold that is mixed with dross. The gold is real. It has value even though it's not been perfectly refined. See, where there's a longing for purity and a loathing of impurity in the soul of a believer, there there's a true expression of what it means to have a purity of heart. This purity of heart does not mean sinlessness of life. So what does a purity of heart mean? What does it mean for us now? What ought we to pursue in the here and now? Well, let me just share with you two things that I think we ought to pursue, things that are available for us now, what this purity of heart means. The first is this, purity of heart means an undivided heart. An undivided heart. In the book Pilgrim's Progress, and if you're in young adults, show up tonight with Pastor James and Taylor tonight because they're going through Pilgrim's Progress. But uh, John Bunyan has a character that he calls Mr. Facing Both Ways. Mr. Facing Both Ways. And, and he's described by one writer as the fellow with one eye on heaven and one on earth who sincerely preaches one thing and sincerely does another. From the intensity of his unreality, he is unable to see and feel the contradiction. A contradiction, an undivided heart, facing both ways. I, I, I want to be after God, but I've got too much of myself that I can't deny of the world. I want to be in God, but there's too much of our earthly culture and earthly things and things that are just pulling at my heart. I have, a, I have a divided heart. In fact, in Elijah's day, we love about Elijah on Mount Carmel and, and going up against the prophets of Baal. How many remember that story? Man, literally call fire down from heaven, right? And, and he, he's, he, he's coming up against idolatry in his nation. He's coming up against a wicked king Ahab and his, and his wife Jezebel that have brought a, a, a sense of idolatry and a worship of Baal into Israel. And, and, and there was this, there was this, this thing. And, and this is what Elijah challenges the people with. In, in 1 Kings 18, 21, he says, How long will you continue to limp between two opinions? How long will you limp between two opinions? 
What was he challenging them? Have a purity of heart. Their heart was divided. They, they, they worshiped Baal. They worshiped Jehovah. They had a little bit of worship of Jehovah, but they mixed it in with a little bit of the worship of the world. Friends, God's people have been facing both ways. I'm just going to be honest with you. We want the blessing of God, but we also want to continue to live with our idols. Do you hear what God is challenging us today? How long will you limp between two opinions? How long will you want to embrace Christ in the world at the same time? How long do you keep toying with the same sins, never completely giving yourself to Jesus Christ and never completely leaving behind the sins that you continue to hang on to? See, a pure heart is an undivided heart. And in it, Jesus pronounces a blessing to the man or the woman who has a single-mindedness that's single-minded in following after Christ. In fact, Jesus had this same theme later in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 22. I'm going to read from the King James Version. It says, the light of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye be single, your whole body shall be full of light. You see, if you have a copy of the ESV or the NIV, they use the word healthy. That's not necessarily a, a, a bad word to use here, but it doesn't give the full depiction of what is really meant by this word. And the meant by this word is single. Single. It communicates the idea of one thing. It's like the Olympic sprinter who has one thing in mind, and that is to get to the goal. That's to get to the finish line. That's with his eye focused on one thing. There's a singleness of mind. The entire capacity of mind and body is fully aligned in the pursuit of a single goal. James chapter 4 and verse 8, the second half says, cleanse your hearts, you sinners. Purify your hearts. Look at this, you double-minded. You double-minded. There's a double-mindedness in Scripture that we are called to purity. Purify your heart, you double-minded. There's a division in the heart like Mr. Facing Both Ways. David captured a believer's longing for purity when he prayed this in Psalm 86, 11. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I might walk in your truth. Look at the next part of this. Unite my heart to fear your name. Unite my heart. Why? Because our hearts are prone to division. Our hearts are prone to division. Our hearts are pulled to a divided division, divided loyalties. Divided loyalties, divided, divided division within our heart. And the Lord is calling us back to a purity of heart, a single-minded devotion to the Lord, an undivided heart. You cannot serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, you'll be devoted to the one or despise the other. You cannot serve two masters, a divided heart. In fact, Paul gives us a window into his own pursuit in Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 13. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining towards what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is the Apostle Paul, right? This is a writer of the most of the New Testament. This is the guy that literally he had given his life to the work of ministry, given his life, even been writing from prison because he was being persecuted for giving his life to Christ. And yet, what does he say? He says this in verse 12, my heart is not perfect. Not that I have already obtained this, am already perfect. And then in case we missed it, he repeats it in verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider myself that I've made it on my own. This is Paul. Paul says, I haven't made it, I'm not perfect, but there is a singleness of heart, a singleness of devotion. This one thing I do. 
This one thing I do. Purity of heart does not lie in what we attain, but in what we pursue and how we pursue it. Purity of heart. One thing I do. Second, it's a heart forgiven. It's a heart forgiven. You see, when you believe in Christ and you put your faith in Him, you find yourself bonded to Christ. Scripture calls it being united with Christ. You find yourself as being in Christ. There's a unity of being in Christ. And when you are found in Christ, there are two marvelous gifts that come that help our heart. One is forgiveness. One gift is forgiveness. Forgiveness is kind of a a legal way of saying that God has dropped all the charges against you. God drops all the charges against you. You're no longer an enemy, but now you're a friend of God. I mean, like that chorus, I'm a friend of God. I'm a friend of God. Why? Because legally, in forgiveness, God has dropped the, the debt. We talked about that last week when we were talking about mercy, and mercy is tied to forgiveness, and forgiveness means letting go of debt, forgiving a debt. And the debt that we owe, God is a legal God, a just God. He has to do what is right. He doesn't just dismiss sin. There's a purity and a holiness to God. He has to deal with sin. So legally, what does he do? He justifies us by what? By the legal count against us, not counting against us, but instead somebody took the punishment that we deserve. Who was that? That was Jesus Christ. You see, God charges sins on the account of Jesus, atoned through the sacrifice and the sin bearer on the cross. Isaiah 53, 6, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so friends, how many of you know that if your debts have been forgiven, they cannot be charged against you on the last day. So when we stand before God, God doesn't look at us and see the charges against us. Why? Because the charges have been against Jesus Christ. So we receive Christ's righteousness and he bore our sin. Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we know that purity, in order to enter heaven, it was on the basis not only of mercy, but the basis of justice as Jesus Christ took on our sin. He took on our debt. He paid our bill. That's been settled. And therefore, God doesn't demand a just payment for our sin any longer, but instead he looks at us and he says, you are innocent, you are clean. As far as your sins are concerned, as far as the east is from the west, I will remember your sin no more. Not because he forgets, but because Jesus already paid that debt for us. And look at this. John 1.9 talks about this justice. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. The justness of God is for the forgiveness of sin. Our confidence is in the character of God who is faithful and just and the work of our Savior has been sealed in justification by paying the debt through the shedding of Christ's blood on the cross. So forgiveness is a marvelous gift that we've been given. But not only forgiveness, but there's a second facet to this and that is our heart washed clean. There's a cleansing of our heart that comes. Forgiveness and cleansing belong together. They belong together. 1 John 1, 9, again, let's go back to it. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive, all right? That's the legal part, faithful and just to forgive. And look at this, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God forgives, but he also cleanses. Forgiveness and cleansing belong together, but they're different. There's a cleansing that takes place. You might say that the cleansing part is what we would call a very theological term called sanctification, 
Sanctification is the process of being set apart or made holy. We know that in justification, we are made holy and right with God instantaneous. But how many of you know that there is a process called sanctification in which we grow to become like God? Anybody who's ever received Christ and been forgiven and been born again, how many of you know that you don't just end up perfect? There's a lot of stuff that has to come out of our lives, right? There's a lot of cleansing that has to take place in our hearts. It's just not instantaneous. There are some things that are. There are some things that happen. But there are other things that we have to learn how to grow to become like Christ. And that is the cleansing part of it. God forgives, but he cleanses. Forgiveness and reconciliation, they happen once by God. We ask and God forgives us. But the cleansing part is a continual thing that must happen in our lives on a regular basis where we come to the Lord and we begin to repent of our sin and we ask Him to cleanse and purify our hearts. Purify our hearts. Jesus washes and cleanses and purifies messed up human beings, messed up minds and hearts. He cleanses us so that we can trust Him as Savior. So not only do we trust Him in, in forgiving us of our sin, but we can put our trust in Him to cleanse us and purify our hearts. It's kind of like the Israelites. They had to come out of Egypt. They were completely set free, but they were, there was a lot of stuff they had to become set free from. God delivered them out of Egypt, but there was a whole lot of Egypt that had to come out of them, right? There's a whole lot of Egypt that has to come out of us. When God purifies our hearts, He deals with our twisted patterns of thinking, our misdirected patterns of loving and great patterns of behaving. And uh, and the one who does this work of cleansing and sanctification is Jesus Christ, but we are engaged in the process. If you look at Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, it says, therefore do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind that you may be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. I hear people all the time say, how do I know the will of God? How can I follow the will of God? Well, that means that you've got to allow God to transform your twisted thinking. You've got to allow the Lord to begin to purify your heart away from the customs and the patterns and the idea that is formed in culture. And I've got to be honest with you, friends. I believe that, that, that believers talking to believers, talking to the church, needs a transformation, needs a cleansing because there's a whole lot of worldly patterns that have worked themselves in and that have married to what we believe to be in Scripture that are not there. We do not have an undivided heart. And we need the Lord to cleanse us and give us a purity of heart. As a believer in Christ, we're not empty-handed in this. God gives us His Holy Spirit. When you come to Christ and you're united in Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit who lives within you. Therefore, we are called to walk by the Spirit. No longer walking after the flesh, no longer going after the flesh, but to walk by the Spirit. That is an intentional partnership with the Holy Spirit, allowing God to cleanse and transform our thinking so that we begin to have a new heart and a new mind. In fact, that's what, when you look at the Old Testament in Jeremiah, God said, listen, I have my laws before you, but listen, when Christ comes, when the Messiah comes, I'm going to write those laws on your heart. It's not just enough to see them in black and white. If they're not written on your heart, then transformation hasn't taken place. There's not a purity of heart. And it's a purity of heart that we're called to pursue. 
Bishop J.C. Riles helps us understand. He says, in justification, our own works have no place at all, and simply faith in Christ is the one needful thing. In other words, I don't need my good works. I can't be justified by my good works. I can't be justified by the things that I try to do to make myself right with God. In justification, I can't do that. The only justification I have is Jesus Christ who justifies me, who makes me just and right with God. But in sanctification... Our own works are of vast importance and God bids us fight and watch and pray and strive and take pains and labors. See, God calls us to be proactive in the pursuit of purity. Our role in the process is made clear as we look at the writings of James and Paul and Peter and John. Again, going back to James 4.8, I only read the second half, but look at the first half. It says this, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Then it says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. The key is to draw near to God. You and I have to be willing to get close to Jesus. We've got to be willing to draw near to Jesus. How do we do that? We do that in prayer. How's your prayer life? We do that by getting into His Word. How's your daily devotions? How are you in the Word? Are you getting into the Word of God? We do that as we draw near in worship, as we draw near in thankfulness to God, as we begin to elevate God. We do that when we don't, dis, when we don't uh, keep ourselves away from others in the body of Christ who encourage us, but rather we spur one another on toward love and good deeds as Hebrews chapter 10 talks about. Notice that our hearts must be drawn. We draw near to God and when we draw near to God, he says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Paul uses similar language, 2 Corinthians 7.1. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit and bring holiness, bring holiness to completion in the fear of God. Notice, notice, cleanse ourselves. Cleanse ourselves. Wait a minute. What do you mean cleanse ourselves? Yes, there's a part that we play in the pursuit of holiness that helps to bring to completion what God has already started and done. It brings it to completion. There's this same spirit. Peter writes in the same way. He says in 1 Peter 1.22, having purified your souls by obedience to the truth. Purifying your souls, it's an indication that we need to be actively engaged in this process. And John uses the same language in 1 John 3.3 when he says, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. <coughs> Excuse me. The scriptures and many others speak of an active engagement to pursue holiness. To pursue holiness. A pure heart. We are, we are to be a part of that process and actively engaged. And it says this, the pure in heart will see God. How many know that sin blinds? Sin blinds. We're blinded by sin. Sin separates us from God. Sin blinds us from God. To see God means to be admitted into his presence. If we go back to the time when Moses went into Pharaoh's court, there was a time when, when he was, was allowed to be in and he would warn Pharaoh, let my people go. But there came a point in time where Pharaoh had had enough. And he says this, he says to Moses in Exodus 10, 28 and 29, get away from me, take heed to yourself. You'll never see my face again. For in the day you see my face, you shall die. And Moses said, as I say, I will not see your face again. See, when the king here says, you'll not see my face again, what he says is I'm not gonna grant you admission into my presence. In the same way, 
You might call the doctor and you say, I need an appointment with a doctor. When you want an appointment with a doctor, you're hoping for a face-to-face visit. You don't want to see a picture of the doctor. You don't want them to send you an email, a picture. You want to be in the very presence of the doctor. David himself understood this connection of being pure in heart and having access to the presence of God. Psalm 51, a psalm of repentance to the Lord. Look Look where David goes with this in verses 10 and 11. God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast soul, a steadfast spirit within me. And get this, do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. See, seeing God means being admitted into his presence. Being admitted into his presence. And David understood that there was a purity of heart. There was a cleansing. There was something very important about getting in to the, to the very presence of God. God had confronted Job in the whirlwind. And Job replied by saying this, I had heard of thee by the hearing of thee, but now my eye sees thee. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Friends, when we encounter the presence of God, we are awestruck by the glory of God and it leads us to a desire and a pursuit of God's cleansing and God's forgiveness and a purity of heart. Not just outward forms, but a purity of heart because when your heart is right, then your fruit is right. When your heart is right, then the things that you speak are the things that glorify God. When your heart is right, then the actions that you take are actions and fruit that glorify God. But if your heart is not right, if there's not a purity of heart, then your actions and your fruit are not going to reflect Christ. Friends, when we encounter God's presence, the goal, the goal of the pursuit of purity, blessed are the pure in heart, the goal is that I might see God that I might be admitted into his presence, that I might experience his presence. Oh God, guys, today, today let's examine ourselves. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come and I wanna close with two questions. Have you had your heart cleansed? Have you had your heart cleansed? Have you received Christ's forgiveness? Have you received Jesus and the salvation that he offers into your life? Listen, your good works, I'm a good person, that doesn't match up. When you look at the standard and the holiness that is God's and God's alone, there is such a gap between even our good works and our holy God. And the only answer for justification is Jesus Christ. So today, have you received the justification and the forgiveness that is found in Christ alone? Has your debt of sin been forgiven by Jesus Christ in his blood. And then secondly, and this is, this is to the church, this is to believers today. Are you walking in purity before the Lord? Are you walking in purity before the Lord? Or is your heart divided? Are you limping between two opinions? How long are you gonna keep limping between two opinions? How long are we going to allow our hearts to stay divided? How long are we going to allow our loyalties to stay divided? How long are we going to put our trust in the things of this world when we have a tough time putting our trust in Jesus? I'll put my trust in Jesus for a little while, but if I don't feel like that's working, I'm going to go back to the system that everybody else uses. How long will you limp between two opinions? 
See, God is calling his church to a purity of heart. A purity of heart. Are we pursuing purity? Are we asking the Lord to cleanse us and give us a purity of heart? Friends, I want you to search through your heart today. You see, this is what David said. And this is what I want our prayer to be. He said this in Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. See, the Bible says the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? Well, you know who knows it? Jesus does. So today I want us to begin to say, Jesus, examine my heart. Examine my heart. Examine my heart. Let's bow for a word of prayer. And I just want to ask you both here and if you're watching online at home, do you, do you need the forgiveness that Jesus offers today? Do you need to give yourself to Christ? Do you need to, to say, I need my debt forgiven by Jesus Christ? Maybe you need to recommit your life to Christ. Maybe you did one time and it was kind of mental, but today you say, no, I need to fully I need to fully surrender my life to Christ today. If that's you, will you slip up your hand? I want to pray for you today. I want to receive Christ today. I need to receive Christ as my Savior today. Yeah, thank you. And secondly, how are you pursuing this purity of heart? Are you walking in purity? If you'd say, you know, I find that at times I'm struggling with a divided heart, or you know what, I need the Lord, I need His forgiveness right now. There's some things in my heart that are not right. Will you slip up your hand today, Pastor, pray for me. There's some areas in my heart, areas in my life that I need to get right with the Lord today. Thank you, Jesus. Let's begin to pray right now. Will you just pray with me right now? Dear Jesus, we thank you. We ask you, Lord, to forgive us today and to cleanse us today and to give us a purity of heart. Father, we don't want to limp between two opinions any longer. Lord, we want a singleness of heart, a heart that pursues you. Search our hearts. You know the areas that are not right with you. Lord, cleanse us today. Forgive us today. Cleanse us today. Put your spirit inside of us again. Renew your Holy Spirit. Renew your Holy Spirit. Take not your Holy Spirit from us. We draw near to you, O oh God. Cleanse us today. We surrender to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened by God's word. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, please visit PainesvilleAG.com.